You're listening to TFM. Want to join in the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners' discussion group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field, and we'll look forward to seeing you there. Hello and welcome to the perfect bar of all time. And I am just one of your hosts here in the 602 Club, Matthew Rushing. And with me is my perfect co-host, Christy Morris. Because you gotta have friends. <laughs> Stop singing! <laughs> oh, oh, man. Well, I'm I'm really excited that we're going to be talking about this movie. I, and in all honesty, it's really fun that uh, I actually hadn't seen Shrek in quite a long time. So um, it was just a blast to rewatch it last night. And actually, we ended up having some friends over to watch it with us. And yeah, it turned into a little party. So yeah, it was it was great. But before we dive into talking about the film, of course, you can find us wherever you do get your podcasts and consume them. Um, And wherever that is, it would be great if you would hit the subscribe button to subscribe to the show so you'll get all of the shows here on the feed as soon as they drop. So that includes the 602 Club as well as Assembling Avengers and Snyder Cuts. You'll also be able to give us a a star rating review on places like Apple Podcasts or Spotify, which is really nice because it helps other people find the show, helps us grow. Uh, Of course, you can also find us on social media. We would love if you would follow us at the 602 Club. We've been having a blast just talking to people recently about all sorts of different things going on. Uh, Of course, the shows as well. You can also find us on Instagram at the 602 Club TFM. You can follow the entire network on Facebook at facebook.com slash trek.fm. And if you want to talk to listeners from all over the world about the different shows that are happening, as well as the 602 Club, you can find us in the Babel Conference, which is our listener discussion group on Facebook that you can find by typing into the search field. Uh, you can also go over to Trek.fm and see all of the shows we're doing. There's a contact section there as well if you'd like to send us an email. And last but not least, really importantly, we would love it if you would support us on Patreon to make sure that all of the shows can keep coming to you each and every week, especially the 602 Club. And Christy and I, we've got some special bonus content that is only going to be going to patrons. Uh, And Mm -hmm. that first episode is going to be coming here right at the end of the year. And so you won't want to miss that bonus content. Uh, So again, go to patreon.com slash Trek FM and become part of our team. So Christy, uh, before we get to anything else, I was just wondering for you, you know, uh, this came out in 2001 Shrek did and so was this a movie that like you went and saw with your family or was this something that you caught later this was something actually that was really special to me my first viewing was actually with my sister and my grandma when we were visiting North Carolina for um, the summer one year and I was 13 at the time nice and That's so fantastic. she actually took us uh, a while after it initially came out um, to the Dollar Theater because my grandma was all about being frugal. 
well, that's definitely important. And so, mm-hmm. um, no, that's really funny that you say that. It, it's uh, it's something to which. So I remember, you know, um, a specific movie going on a trip, and it was uh, The Land Before Time. It's when I went oh. to uh, uh, New York with my grandmother uh, to visit my uncle, and then we went to New York City um, to uh, visit um, some family of hers that still live there. Uh, and so, yeah, it was. I always remember that movie because we went and saw it in New York. And so, but, you know, this is definitely a movie that by that point uh, I, you know, myself saw in the theater and uh, it just, you know, it looked fun. And it, and it felt like it was going to be uh, a fun movie. And so um, it's not, I mean, I don't remember like seeing it in the theater in the sense of like the experience, but I just mm-hmm. remember this, it, it kind of became its own thing, you know, like it became something, I think bigger than the movie itself because it it was definitely a different type of film. So uh, especially from, you know, uh, the animated movies we were used to, uh, especially growing mm-hmm. up. So, um, but I was really interested because I did not know that this almost had a different cast and Chris Farley had actually been cast as the role of Shrek and he had done most of the dialogue Uh, But then he died uh, before he was able to finish it, which I didn't know. But that was really fascinating to me because I feel like, you know, Mike Myers became so synonymous with this character of Shrek. And um, it, it but could you imagine, you know, Chris Farley in this role? And do you think the movie would have been the same with, you know, out what Mike Myers ends up doing with the role. I think it still would have been interesting to see, but it would have been a very different movie. I I think that, of course I love Chris Farley and always will. And it's so unfortunate that he passed away in the middle of that. Um, But too, I think that there is this natural warmth, even with Shrek being such a, um, grumpy character most of the movie there's a warmth that mike myers brings to that with his voice and in particular with the scottish accent that you wouldn't get with chris farley so i think that it's better for ending up with mike myers but it stinks that we don't get to see that take on it as well yeah Uh, yeah no i mean uh, absolutely in the sense that (laughs) It's 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 horrible that the reason we don't get that is because, you know, he passes away. And mm-hmm. um, but, you know, you mentioned something that I think is really interesting in that just the idea of the way in which Mike Myers, I think, is is able to play that uh, kind of more disgruntled. Um, it, it I think the thing that uh, Chris Farley for me. I wonder how he would have been able to play this role. And obviously I think it would have been very different because I don't know if we would have necessarily gotten the same type of grumpiness. Like you said, I think that was a really good word. You know, Mike Myers, I think Mm. is great at doing that. And, and I, 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 so I'm fascinated and and I, I do almost wish that there uh, were, you know, scenes 
um, that they had done deleted wise where you could have had Chris Farley's take. I think that would have been just really fascinating to hear uh, Mm -hmm. what that, that take would be. And so, yeah, I mean, it's, it is definitely tragic that again, the reason you don't get this is because Chris Farley uh, passed away. I also read that Fiona was going to be voiced by Janine Garofalo. I did too. (laughs) And I, yeah, that seems like another terribly interesting take. I mean, is it though? I think it would have been terrible. <laughs> Not terribly interesting, I, yeah. just terrible. Um, yeah, I mean, it it could have been that too. Um, that's uh that's a great uh, I mean, it it doesn't seem like it would have necessarily worked as well to me because I think Janine Garofalo fits the persona of Fiona as a ogre, but I don't necessarily mm-hmm. feel like she fits the persona of Fiona as, um, uh, you know, like a like a, a more normal person. Um, mm-hmm. That has nothing to do with uh, against Jean Garofalo. It's just just the way that I think you know her voice sounds. I think it would be less unexpected just because of the tone of her voice is different. You know, I, I think, um, mm-hmm. you know, Cameron Diaz just absolutely has that tone to her voice, which sounds quote unquote, classically kind of girly. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And I think uh, that's what you need, I think for the surprise to actually work. Um, so yeah, I, I I don't think it would have been I I don't react quite as strongly as you do, but I do think that it ends up being a much better choice in the end and works better for the film, you know, for mm-hmm. Gamer GS to be there. So, um, well, and I'll say like that that's really the main reason that I say that is that for one, I do think that Janine Garofalo can have a, a much deeper voice that I don't necessarily think works as well for the princess version of Fiona, like you said. And two, she has played a lot of roles that were very um, dark or um, troubled characters and things like that, which I think suit her style. But I, I don't think you would have wanted to go that direction with this character, obviously. So that's the reason that I feel like it's just a mismatch when you think of yeah. her replacing Cameron Diaz as Fiona. Yeah, I, no, I, I just think it's so interesting, you know, when you have these type of films. Um, and, uh, you know, by this point, you know, Disney had started to do the same thing where you're casting you know, more celebrities in name, like names you knew other right. than just, you know, classically trained voice actors. You know, I think one of the big places where that becomes such a splash for them was with Aladdin. And I think because of what, you know, you get with Robin Williams, it becomes more and more a thing to be looking towards actual stars um, other than voice talent, which, you know, in some ways is, I think, somewhat sad because a lot of times, um, especially more recently, 
I think movies uh, get cast like this and it should be it should be uh, voice talent voice actors I'm doing it more so than stars just because you know it doesn't always work you know not every star is great at doing voice work but mm-hmm. with this cast I think that leads us to kind of talking about you know our four main characters and you know, I think one of the things that makes this so iconic now is that, you know, Mike Myers decides to do this with that, you know, kind of, uh, it's it's like a Scottish accent, right? It's not completely Scottish um, in that sense. Right, or else you wouldn't understand yeah, it. exactly. <laughs> but, but I think... Uh, there's there's something about doing that that just added, I think, this whole level to that character that I, I think it's one of the things to me that almost gives it that fairy taleness um, without, you know, having to do anything else, you know, uh, to his voice. And I think it really added something to the character and it made it feel, again, slightly more fairy tale like to have him use that that type of accent. And then. In all honesty, I think it just to me, Mike Myers was really good with his voice in portraying all of the emotions that the character of Shrek is going through, which is such an important part of this story because he's really that linchpin of selling, I think, the most heartfelt moments of this film, really. For sure. I mean, he and Eddie Murphy, I think, obviously carry most of the movie because they are most of what it's centered around. (laughs) They're most of the movie. (laughs) Yeah. Um, (laughs) But they also, the two of them together, it's so funny. I couldn't picture anyone else voicing those characters at this point because of even the way that they were able to kind of play off of each other. Um, even if they weren't recording at the same time, it feels like they have a good chemistry. And I think that, like you said, you kind of imagine a certain voice that you would like read a fairy tale bedtime story to a child. And I think that although you wouldn't initially picture it being somewhat Scottish, it feels right. And I it's funny, you actually, if you read more about how he came up with that, it was because his own grandmother was Scottish, and he was inspired by hearing her read to him. So Which I thought that was nice. Is great. I yeah. Mean, the, the, I, because, yeah, I think, you know, there there's a there's obviously a big part of this movie we'll talk about how it's a little very, you know, different or whatever. But I again, I think this is one of the things that grounds it in a, and, and gives it that sense of familiarity, um, you know. And part of that is just having this character and an accent who begins the story and then it, we continue on in the story with him. And um, yeah, I absolutely, I think it was a phenomenal choice. And I think he was a phenomenal choice to replace Chris Farley um, after his passing. I mean, I think um, he really helps make this role his own. And I think he just is the right person to uh, uh, carry this movie emotionally, you know? And I Mm -hmm. think part of that too is just that, you know, Mike Myers is in many ways a lot 
like Shrek, right? He's not somebody, he's not a, like the leading man, right? You know, you're not casting somebody, uh, you know, like a Tom Cruise or something like that to do that, you know? And because and Mike Myers has even made fun of that whole idea of his own persona, right? Uh, in mm-hmm. films that he's done, like, you know, Sorry, Mary, your next murderer and all that kind of stuff. Um, because of that. Um, and so I think he's able to really key into the emotional resonance of the character um, just because he completely gets it and completely under- understands it, which is honestly, too, I think one of the places why maybe they had gone to Chris Farley as well, because I think Chris Farley could have brought that to the role, too. So, yeah, I think mm-hmm. Myers is great. And you mentioned Eddie Murphy there in the role as Donkey, and it does feel like at this point that it would be very difficult to imagine anybody else in this role. I mean, it just, he is that character. And and I think part of it is that he just brings everything that he is to this role. Um, and it doesn't really feel all that different from just Eddie Murphy being a goofball. But I think that's what makes it work so well, is it just feels very natural. And and at the same time, and just inc- it's incredibly funny. He's incredibly funny in this movie. Like, most of his lines still make me chuckle all these years later. They're so quotable. And he, he it's so funny because not long before this, he had played Mushu in Mulan. And so it's a similar kind of character, but obviously with a less hard edge to him than Mushu had. Um, but I love here that he takes a character like a donkey and makes him come across so emotional and um, truly looking for a friend. And I mean, you actually mm-hmm. feel bad for him when his owner is trying to give him in for a reward. You know, I mean, I think that the animators also did such a great job along with Eddie Murphy's voice acting to make him come across so um, appealing and that you just want to give him a hug. But then, of course, he plays the annoying bits so well that you just crack up every time. I mean, every rewatch is better than the last. Um, Like I said earlier, you know, the you got to have friends. He has so many good song quotes even you know he sings on the road again try a little tenderness um all kinds of stuff i think that it just adds even more to who he is as a person um it just really makes it fun yeah absolutely i i mean i just uh, the way in which he is able to play the comedy of course but then also play the type of character to which, you know, he mirrors Shrek, and yet instead of internalizing his pain, he's allowed, he and he lets it be a part of, you know, who he is. He's not afraid to talk about it, you know. He doesn't mm-hmm. try to just squash it and hide it. Um, and, you know, it, it it's it's great because I think the beauty of the film is watching that friendship between those two blossom where, you know, they begin to become friends with one another. 
And then, of course, it's it's you know it's so difficult then when you know it, when Shrek tries to you know kick him out of the swamp and doesn't want him there uh, because you know in the end he's just afraid of being hurt you know and um, mm-hmm. Donkey just won't let him do that you know he won't leave him alone he's not going to let him get away with that and it just I think the beauty of this movie is that. It has such a strength in friendship um, and it it really is so much about friendship and that true friends, you know, forgive each other. As Donkey says, true friends make each other talk about hard things so that they can get through it so that they just don't wallow in it. And I I love that. I think that's really important that this movie has such a great, strong thematic element of especially male friendship too like that it's okay to be a guy and to talk about your feelings and to um not have to be so strong all the time to 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 yep. to that it's okay that yes men can be hurt men have feelings too and it is okay to actually allow yourself to be able to talk about that. And I just absolutely love um, the fact that um, this movie with Shrek and Donkey is so much about that that friendship. And so mm-hmm. really means a lot to me uh, that they would do that. Because I think it's an important lesson for, you know, the younger people that are watching this film to be able to see that, you know. Um, oh, yeah. So. Well, and that was one other thing I just wanted to add was that I also love how much of a perpetual optimist that Donkey is in particular. I mean, everything is like he just lets it slide off him and yeah. keeps on trucking. <laughs> um, I think my other favorite quote is, "And we're going to tell manly stories and stay up all night. And in the morning, I'm making, I'm making waffles. waffles. Yes. <laughs> yes. Because mm, I do love some waffles in the morning. So, yeah. Um, you know, with... Choosing a Cameron Diaz as uh, Princess Fiona, I think she does a really good job in this film. And part of that is that I think she does a, a very good job of just inhabiting the character um, and portraying somebody who, you know, thinks that she needs to be one way and thinks that people are only going to love her for a specific thing and the the pain and the hurt that comes with all of that, I think this movie just does a really good job of that. Uh, I think that she does a really good job with that. And uh, I, I think she's also so synonymous with this character at this point. I just, I can't really imagine anybody else playing the role, which I think is the highest compliment you can really give to somebody who's voicing a character. I mean, I think that the main four here have really cemented themselves in these roles. And part of it is definitely that their performance was so good. And that with her, she does get across that feminine softness in the scenes where she needs to, and then also can come out and, you know, do the voice well for all of her unexpected fight scenes or um, as an ogre and still get across that she has some pain there that she's trying to overcome and that she had all of these expectations of what she was going to have for her life that are completely changed now. I mean, 
definitely there's a switch in her mind when she finally sees Shrek's face for the first time and realizes everything she was expecting of the way life goes is not turning out that way. And she's like, ah, this is just all messed up now and we just need to start over. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So, well, yeah. And I, I do think that that's, you know, that is an important point of the movie as well. You know, we talked about the idea of friendship and I think that's so important, but I think, you know, Fiona's character helps us see as she lives out this idea of what, and, and this mirrors with what we see with Lord Farquaad, right? People have this idea that they, that their life should be this like perfect trajectory, you know, that mm-hmm. everything should be perfect in some sense. Like there's, there's only one way it can go. And, you know, I think she helps us to be able to see that everybody's life is different, right? Like our lives shouldn't all be the same. Like our 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 lives are not going to be a fairy tale story, right? And so, to me, that's a really important message because I think too many people get caught up in this, you know, pursuit of perfection, and um, in every area of our lives, right? And in a way that becomes damaging, I, I, you know, I don't think that it's it's wrong for us to want to be proficient and good at things and competent and all that kind of stuff. But there is a point where like the pursuit of perfection in in the sense that we see it with her and then with Lord Farquaad is actually could be not only hurtful and damaging to oneself, but everyone around them. Right. Well, and and I think that obviously we'll get to more of that in a minute, but just in general, they really are trying to teach kids and also kind of remind adults that life isn't always going to go the way that you expect it to or the way that you initially wanted. Right. But that's okay. That it's not going to be this perfect fairy tale ending um and then you know it's it's sort of like the joke we just talked about recently with disenchanted was you get married and then nothing else else ever happens to you (laughs) right it's like right he rescues you and then you get married and then nothing else ever happens you live happily ever after the end well and i mean i think too i you you mentioned that I, i was thinking how you know i think the rolling stone said it best you know you can't always get what you want But if you try Mm -hmm. sometimes, you just might find you get what you need, you know, Mm -hmm. and isn't that part of this story, which is especially for Fiona and Shrek, they both end up getting what they need and instead of what they thought that they wanted, because sometimes what we think we want is actually the worst thing that could possibly happen for us, you know, and so. Right. Absolutely. I, I think it's just such a great part of the film and i love that with all the silliness this movie has there is actually a ton of depth and you know another part of that is i think john lithgow is is lord farquaad is is hysterical uh in the role but i also love the fact that his pursuit of this perfection is something to which again as we're kind of talking about really hurts a lot of other people um and it's it's a, it's this self-imposed desire for perfection that that he believes you know he's either owed or due because you know he's 
coming at everything selfishly, right? Um, which is something mm-hmm. we talk about all the time on this show, like this idea of selfishness and selflessness. And like, he's just a villain in that sense, like, because he only thinks about himself. He only cares mm-hmm. about himself. Um, and he is ruining an entire kingdom just because he believes that he not only should he be king, but everything should be perfect by his thought of what perfection is. Yeah. And, I mean, it even feels terrifying in a sense of like he's doing like cleansing of the community you know right yeah he's pushed all of the people that he doesn't want to live there out aka the fairy tale creatures and everything like shrek says is very quiet super clean it seems like it's not really a place that's lived in it's just a bunch of buildings and it's empty. Um, And I think that they kind of echo these feelings that it's creepy rather than the perfect place that you actually want to live so much and show, I mean, even as well that the only reason he wants to get married is so that he'll technically be a king for real because he has to marry a princess. He doesn't actually care about her. He's not looking for a life partner or someone to love and to love him back. He just wants to be king. So, yeah, I think that there's all of that to it. And then you add someone with as iconic of a voice as John Lithgow. I love him anyway. I mean, he did stuff like, you know, Buckaroo Banzai and obviously Third Rock from the Sun and Footloose and all of that. But I think really he, he can be so great at playing a villain but also having that comedic element to it. And also here dealing with the other comedic side visually of Lord Farquaad being mm-hmm. incredibly short. Yeah. yeah. He clearly has a Napoleonic complex here. <laughs> yes, he does. <laughs> I love that. So he just can't wait to be king. Yeah, there you saying. go. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, absolutely. I, I love, I just, I love everything you said there because I think you just, succinctly nailed all of his major issues but i i do love that you brought up something that's super deep in the sense that like yeah he's kicking people out that he doesn't believe are worthy of being in his kingdom and a really creepy and like you know throughout history we've seen that plenty of times of people who don't believe that a certain type of people deserve to exist mm-hmm. and uh, or that they are less than. And so absolutely. I think that's, you know, that's definitely an undertone there. And it, yeah, it's, it's terrifying. Part of that is like, yeah, he is definitely overcompensating for something. So um, <laughs> with, <laughs> with the movie, it is definitely a, a new kind of animated movie. You know, we had had kind of the Disney formula for animated films since Snow White. And this movie takes a trend that had started in the late 90s and early 2000s, which was the parody, and creates the parody of not only animated fairy tales and fairy tales themselves, but also the Disney princess genre. 
um, and then mixes that all together with, you know, other references from uh, the Matrix or all the way back to like the dating game. And, Mm -hmm. you know, um, this is also a movie that's more aimed at teenagers than and parents than little kids because of the humor and innuendo that's found in the movie. And so uh, for you, like, does that does that still work or can you is it one of those things where you can't even really imagine a time when this type of film doesn't exist? No, I definitely remember this was my first encounter with this kind of movie, especially with it having some things that were clearly recognizable undertones and then others that went over my head because I was 13 when I first saw it. Um, it, it was a game changer sitting there, especially with my grandmother and my little sister going, Oh, I don't know if I'm supposed to be watching this. <laughs> you know, um, I think that the, the first thing I ever caught was in the song about Duloc being a perfect place. They oh, say like, yeah. watch the grass, wipe your face. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I went, Oh, they almost said a bad word. So, (laughs) you know, I think there's things like that that make this so different in a great way. They're perfectly able to ride that line of still being appropriate enough for a young audience, but have something that appeals to the adults as well. So it's not over the line of inappropriate and not necessarily all stuff that kids would pick up on. I mean, I know for sure I didn't get all the jokes about the measuring (laughs) as a kid. Yeah. Yeah. You would say there are some that might say he's in short supply. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I. It's really interesting because, you know, one of the things that uh, Andrew Adamson, uh, one of the co-directors of the film, you know, he went toe to toe with Katzenberg there at DreamWorks about just how much this should appeal to adults and was very adamant that there were going to be uh, innuendo in this film, that there were going to be, um, you know, pop culture music references and or actual pop culture music in this film. Um, this was not going to be your run-of-the-mill animated princess movie. Um, mm-hmm. This was, and 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 in some ways, what's so interesting I think about this is that this is a movie that, even without trying, works I think very well for the male and the female audience. Just mm-hmm. by, you know, creating good and interesting characters on all sides of, of um, you know, on all sides that allows you to be able to feel for um, people. And I, I think, again, it just it, it it works. You know, princess movies tend to be marketed specifically more towards girls you know, movie like Toy Story, more towards boys, quote unquote. And this movie, I think it's just, they do a great job telling a story that both boys and girls love without it being targeted specifically to one and or the other, which right. is impressive as well. So um, I think on top of not only just getting adults into the seats, um, I think that the kids that were there are also served just by the story. 
Exactly. I, I think that they do such a great job of having this be something that, like you were saying, is very neutral in the sense of who it appeals to. And then also really breaking the mold, although there were a couple other things at the same time that were parodies. This came long before, of course, the movie Enchanted, which is also a fairy tale and Disney parody. Right. Yeah. And I think this does it differently, obviously, because it also includes some things from like other grim fairy tales, for example, and sure. not just yep. Disney yep. references. So yeah. they've got things like Little Red Riding Hood um, with the wolf. They have the three little bears. What? Yeah. <laughs> uh, they even bring in Robin Hood. Yeah. Yeah. Which felt like a reference to men in tights, honestly. It did. It did. Uh, I think that's uh, honestly what they were going for with that. Mm -hmm. uh, no, I, I think you're right. I mean, this is, uh, it's interesting that this kind of, I think, spawns an entire new genre, which is the the more parodied version of, you know, animated films and movies. And I think animated films that are so much more self-aware. You know, right. uh, you know, that's that's Poke definitely fun at themselves. Yeah, I 100% agree with you. Like, I, I, I think it's it's something that's really um, it, it's just really interesting because I think now, you know, this movie came out over 25 years ago. It's hard to imagine this not being the case. Mm -hmm. Well, and even spawned so many other things yeah. after it. Exactly. I mean, you see kids walking yep. around with the Shrek ears and you know exactly mm -hmm. what it's from. Yep. Yep. Well, and, and this is another place where, too, success helps because this film's success really cements DreamWorks as a competitor for Disney. And, of course, then Disney and Pixar aren't linked uh, in the sense that they aren't, you know, owned together. They're, they're separate companies. But mm -hmm. as a feature film you know, computer animation studio. And so that means they would go on to do things like Madagascar and Kung Fu Panda, How to Train Your Dragon, Trolls, you know, all these type of movies that become franchises all along with more Shrek films. Uh, mm -hmm. And again, you know, success, the fact that this took off meant that DreamWorks was going to be making, you know, animated pictures for many years to come because of this. Yeah, that part really made me so happy because I, I think of a time when we didn't have Madagascar and I'm like, how did I live in that world? So, yeah, I mean, You're I think Smile and wave, boys. Smile and wave. But Skipper, I don't know the codes. <laughs> <laughs> but, or right. Kung Fu Pando. Skadoosh. <laughs> yeah i mean it, they really they struck gold here because they not only had something unique but also really came at it with the talent in the computer animation to be comparable to pixar especially and then also with the writing if the writing wasn't good mm -hmm. either then it would go nowhere no i think you're 100 percent right you know this this film is helped because it feels so snappy and smart, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and I think part of that is helped by the fact that it is, you know, one of the first of its kind. And so, and then that success 
helps breed more success because they also kind of find an identity for themselves uh, that sets them apart from what Disney and Pixar do. And DreamWorks Pictures have a feel that is their own. And this movie sets the foundation for that, which, you know, I I love to, we've talked about some of the themes in the film, but I, I really still always touch by this idea of, you know, layers and not judging people before you actually get to know them. And I feel like this film is just in this theme is even more important now because I've just, this seems to just be the thing that happens all the time, you know, of people just snap judging people and othering people in a way that is just truly horrendous. And of course, social media has not helped that. And it's only been amplified. And, and so in some ways, I think the thematic element of this film in the idea of not judging others until you actually know them because there's more than meets the eye to people mm-hmm. is just so profound. And so rewatching this, I was just struck by this is this is even more important now, I feel like, than it was then. I mean, it's always been important, but it just feels like even more so now. Right. Like you have people using things like social media for mostly the superficial, but then at least there started to be some headway with people really using it more as a tool to share more profound content, which I'm glad about. But I do think you see that so well here representing both the physical and the emotional aspect of people having layers of saying initially when Shrek brings it up, he's talking not about how he looks, but about who he is that there's more to him than just the gruff outside the the hard exterior to protect him from getting hurt emotionally and i like that they continue to play on that theme and do it with all of the characters and not just shrek so i did want to bring that up as well i like that they do talk about it dealing with especially with fiona and shrek not liking how they look or feeling like they scare people but also it dealing so much with protecting your heart from being hurt and mm-hmm. yeah, making sure that you can trust people and having more to you on the inside than what meets the eye as well. Uh, no, I, I, the whole thing is that in the end, what matters with people is what's on the inside and their actions, it's not what's on the outside. And the mm-hmm. only way that you can really get to know those things is by getting to know them and spending time with them. And then your you know reaction to somebody is based on actual evidence, you know, actual experience rather than just this, oh, well, I perceive someone to be like this. Because Mm -hmm. of something I saw in a place where, you know, like social media or whatever, and and where most things aren't real anyway, you know, like nobody's really being them true, their true selves. And that's where it just comes down to that, that relational aspect of getting to know one another, spending time with one another, and actually giving people the chance 
um, to show you who they are. And I, yeah, this whole movie is about that, and I love it. And I, I think it's still really, really important. So um, it was it was fun to be able to rewatch it and be just reminded of, like, I think one of the reasons that people did gravitate towards this movie, and it wasn't just because it was funny. I think it, it does kind of get everybody on that more emotional level. Mm-hmm. Because I think everybody's felt like that before, right? That somebody's judging you or treating you in a certain way and they don't really know you. They're just reacting to something that may or may not even be in your control. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, talking about all the things that have layers, nobody's going to tell you they don't like a parfait. I, I, no, don't nobody know, don't like no parfait. I mean... Maybe the best dang thing <laughs> on the whole damn planet. So, right? <laughs> um, yeah. Well, we talked a little bit earlier about the idea of the the, the soundtrack and, and the music. And, of course, this movie is not a musical in the Disney animated feature film sense. Uh, this is much more a traditional film where you would use popular music and you know music from the past to you know portray the emotions of what's going on on screen and so I, that's a very different for an animated film especially at this time so how did that work for you then and is it still something that you end up loving now that is something that initially really surprises people seeing this movie for the first time because you do naturally expect animated films or initially at that time, computer animation films like this to be a musical, to be, you know, characters singing about what they're doing as they're doing it and maybe have classically trained singers singing that and it be more of a score um, rather than a soundtrack with pop music. So I like that it comes in with that so unexpectedly. And then also the song choices, they really do a great job of picking what would suit this film best. I think it's so fun when they bring in songs like Bad Reputation during the fight scene, because, of course, Shrek does not care about his bad reputation. Um, or, you know, the um, song Hallelujah, I thought, fit so well with the emotion of those scenes of him debating on whether or not he cares for Fiona and could actually be with her or not. Um so I do think that they make some great choices as well with making sure the music fit the movie and fit the scenes they put it with. Yeah, I I mean this is this movie is so iconic in that sense. You know, um, I, mm -hmm. everybody knows All Star, and you know, uh, everybody thinks of Hallelujah or I'm a Believer. Uh, all of those things have become just kind of synonymous with this film. And, you know, I think one of the the beauties of a movie is when the soundtrack choices, especially if it's pop music, and how regardless of when you are here, hear that song later on, you think of that movie. Right. You know, and I think Shrek did that. You know, I can't think of All Star without thinking of this film. You know, and so I, I that's perfection when it comes to a soundtrack. 
And so mm-hmm. I think they do a, a phenomenal job of of choosing just the right music at just the right moment and using that to their advantage. And it is really fun because it is different. And again, I think one of the things is they just set themselves apart from, you know, what they're parodying in a way that I think really, really works. And I think this is just one of those places, in all honesty, where, you know, the the merging of what's happening on screen and music really comes together to make something special. Also, I think that's the thing that helps this be something that does feel more adult because you are using music that you probably wouldn't be using in a movie that's made only for kids or specifically for kids like Bad Reputation. It's not a song that you would hear, you know, uh, at least at that point in a Disney animated feature. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, 100%. I, I think it's, I love it. And I still love it, you know, and I still think it works every single time. So, Christy, I can't wait to see where you end up on your ratings with this movie because I don't feel like we've really had anything bad to say about the movie. So, the only thing that kind of bothers me about the movie, but I I can't give it too hard of a time, is that, of course, this was still early days of the computer animation for movies like this in the detail that they had to do it. And on the rewatch, you can kind of tell there's a difference in seeing how Donkey and Shrek look and and with the lighting or when they get wet, you know, there's some things like that that are hard to animate um, that look better in movies now. So I knock it off a little bit for that, but not too much. So I still give it a four and a half out of five um, dancing donkeys because it's still so much fun to rewatch. And like I said, has that special memory for me of seeing it for the first time with my grandmother and sister Um, and my grandmother's no longer with us. So it's something that I'll always carry with me. Um, and something that, you know, I eventually want to watch with my niece and nephew. So it does have a lot of really incredible things going for it in spite of that one little critique. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is a thing which I noticed as well, especially watching it in 4K this time. And yet I was still pretty stunned by what they could do. Especially Mm -hmm. since, you know, you think before this, it's Toy Story. And so this is even a level above that. And I think they did a a really great job with what they could do at the time. I I also feel like this is a four and a half out of five gumdrop buttons. Oh, yeah. My gumdrop (laughs) buttons. Okay. The Muffin Man. I'll tell you. (laughs) Do you know the Muffin Man? Uh, the Muffin anyway. Man? Yes, the whole scene is fantastic. <laughs> Don't tell him anything! Uh, <laughs> You're a monster! Oh, uh, <laughs> gosh. It, like, half the best lines are from him. It's great. Uh, anyway, mm-hmm. but I, I yeah, I, I was struck by rewatching this film how much I really enjoyed it. And it's a lot of fun. And it still holds up. And it still has, I think, really good things to say. And so I 
but yeah, this this movie four and a half out of five for me. Um, so Christy, before we get out of here though, uh, what would you like to recommend to everybody this week for your recommendation? So I've been rewatching a lot of things lately, not as much new content. So I just wanted to recommend something that I always watch around the holiday season that warms my heart. And I hope everyone gets a chance to see it at some point. And that is the 1964 version of Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, the stop motion animation movie, um, because it's such a cool way of doing that kind of kids movie in general, like the look of it. And has some really great music. Um, still to this day, I sing the song Silver and Gold with my mom. Um, it's just such a cute movie. So if you haven't seen it, please find a way to rent and watch Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer from 1964. Yes, I love those old stop motion animation classics yeah. for Christmas. So I'm right there with you. And for me, I'm going to be re- uh, recommending a Pinocchio. Uh, and that's Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio that just got released on Netflix and it is also a stop motion animation film Mm. and it is gorgeous just absolutely beautiful Uh, and you know it's everything you kind of want in somebody telling a fairy tale like this now and you know you know Disney is is been known recently for remaking their their films their animated features in live action and and really i think doing a disservice to everybody by not actually doing anything different with the movies for the most part or or really making them uh, you feel like oh yeah you needed to remake that but this you know Guillermo del Toro is a fantastic filmmaker and i think he does a brilliant job with this movie and giving a new spin to it and i absolutely loved it part of that too is just it's absolutely gorgeous to watch and so i highly recommend checking out uh his version of pinocchio there on netflix but christy if anybody wants to catch up with you see what else you've got going on these days especially during the holiday season that we're in as we're recording where can people find you you can can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Bespin Bell. And speaking of new things for the holidays, I've been showing off my Harry Potter advent calendar Ooh. on reels that my coworker Victoria got me um, and doing some other fun stuff there. So check out reels on Instagram at Bespin Bell. And uh, of course, when we do our Patreon episode coming up this month, I hope yes. you'll check that out and become a patron. Uh, and then, of course, I have a finished show that I did with my friends Amanda and Teresa called Sabers and Spells on the Skywalking Through the Neverland Network. But what about you? Well, uh, everybody can find me all over social media under the name MattRushing02. Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, Vero are all places you can follow me. We'd love to interact with you and talk to you there. Uh, You can also find me, of course, here on the network outside the 602 Club with a bunch of shows. One is Literary Treks about the books and the comics of Star Trek. The Orb about Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Warp 5 about Star Trek Enterprise. Saddle Up about Star Trek Strange New Worlds. And... The Artificial Tango about Star Trek Picard, which I'm really excited will be starting up again in the new year as we'll be talking about the season three of Star Trek Picard, which will be starting. I can't wait. I'm really excited to see what they do with that final season. And then over on the Nerd Party Network, I've got two shows. One I did with Drea Kaufman. It was called Owl Post, 
It is called Owlpost, and it's a completed show, so you can listen to us talk about every single chapter of the Harry Potter series, one chapter at a time. And then last but not least, the great John Mills and I talk about Star Wars every week on Aggressive Negotiations. But thank you so much for joining us. And y'all come back now you're here. Thank you.